As it wraps around all of my nerves, the overwhelming pain of boredom <laughs> through getting through this episode. Oh, <laughs> Captain Missy, I... I am over the pain. The episode is done. I am okay now. I am ready to podcast. Wow. Wow. Missy, way to agree with like most people who watch this episode but not i oh i'm what a basic bitch i am it's with okay this captain emily i am glad that you are going to have more enthusiasm than i had for this um creature feature yeah. this multicellular hive mind of a back uh you know instead of this episode having a monkey on its back it has a, a blob <laughs> on its back a uh, a red like boil and not like a Susan boil, yeah. just like a weird, gross one that you see on a on a leper or something. I don't know. This is what is this episode, Captain? What Emily? even is this episode? Hello. What is what is the metaphor here? Tell me how this is about communism or something. That's a good question. Um, we'd have to go to Highland for that. But everyone, welcome to Red Charts. So so excited. To be here talking about that's right, Operation Annihilate, and you have to dun, say dun, dun. it like that because there's an exclamation point. The only exclamation point used in the entire first uh, original series. There's only one other exclamation point used, and that's an episode of Voyager. So I don't care. <laughs> well, and we also have to say it's not the only punctuation that is in this exactly. episode. Exactly. We have to pass through the colon yes. first. So don't forget to pronounce. It's a pronounced colon. Operation. Yeah, the colon. Annihilate. Yeah. Exclamation point. Yep. Yep. This episode's title really sets you up to be more excited <laughs> than what actually happens throughout it. Like, I mean, okay, there is an operation and they do have to annihilate something, but dear God. This is one of the slowest, mm -hmm. sluggiest episodes um, that for two, for creatures that can quickly attach themselves to you uh, within, you know, a moment's notice on a, on a wire just flying across the screen. Uh, this episode did not cling to me at all. That is so fascinating because um, growing up, this was my favorite episode. Uh, and it's still okay. one that really speaks to me. And some of it mostly for personal reasons. Mostly for personal reasons, but I always just I like a personal it favorite because it just kind of stuck in the back of my head. This is an episode uh, that where we meet briefly Kirk's brother. Yeah, never comes up again. Um, it does though in Strange New Worlds. 
Uh, oh. Where we meet his nephew, uh, where we learn a bit of the biology of Mr. Spock. And again, never referenced again. But yeah, I'm really excited to sort of get into this and get into the difference. But it is a plotting pensive one um this one was written by steven carabazzos and directed by herschel doherty uh herschel is going to come back i think in the second season for another episode um and steven carabazzos you'll remember he was the second story editor of all of star trek um okay this was his final assignment he in his contract had that he would write an original script that would be like one of the things he did he literally had no time because they were busy rewriting everyone else's shit episodes um and he got to this basically as at the end of his contract uh as soon as Roddenberry hired dc fontana that's right hey so Dorothy had taken over at this point and he was just kind of writing this as his final episode and he got the idea um, not, not from him. It was from a mixture of Gene Roddenberry. It was partially the bits and pieces are taken from different episodes, different scripts uh, of things that were sort of unused and also from Robert Heinlein's uh, The Puppet Masters, which I'm not sure if you've heard oh. of this one. It reminds me of the Yerks if you have read Animorphs. Um, I have not. I was not allowed to read Animorphs growing up because they promoted evolution. Oh, it does. Uh, <laughs> but basically, uh, it's slugs that go into people's heads and control them. Oh, brain slugs. Yep. Got brain it, slugs. got it, got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got brain slugs. You got to send these brain slugs through the mail so that they can slug more people. You know, the whole deal. Oh, I looked up the Puppet Masters and I see the phrase slug throwing guns, oh. which is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. this is my slug gun. Um, it's a little bit like the woman who wrote Carol. She really liked snails, but if she okay. really liked slugs instead. <laughs> there we go. There we I, go. Ugh, this slug. I, we don't have many slugs or snails where i live hmm. and so whenever i go out to california so i many. forget they're just fucking everywhere that's weird that there are places where there are not slugs that is bizarre to me yeah no it's like not a thing out here i mean i'm sure like in the woods probably but no not like on sidewalks or like on your plants in front of your garden like apparently every california suburb has patricia highsmith that is the person who liked snails and wrote carol to to, to uh, give me a, give me some more um, snail information. Oh, here we go. Do you want to know mm, something exciting please. about the plot of the Puppet Masters? Please. They go to Des Moines, <gasps> Iowa, because the slugs are steadily taking over Des Moines, ah. but they can't convince the U.S. president to declare an emergency. They just really want Des Moines. Yeah, I mean it's the it's toward the center. You got I eighty, I thirty five, and then boom. The slugs go out from there. True. Whole country. Whole country. Or, as in this case, whole planet. Um, so we have... Let's let's just get into it. Let's open this up. Let's start ourselves off. We open on an extremely concerned Kirk wandering around the bridge. Uh, Uhura keeps calling the planet that they are coming near. But they're not getting any information back. This planet, Deneva. 
And Kirk is like, well, try this line. Try this number. And she's like, that's a private line. Um, and he's like, I fucking know it's a private line. Try it. Try it again. Um, and he goes over to Spock, who shows us what we're also concerned about. There is a civilization annihilating force causing extreme like insanity jumping from planet to planet in a straight line pointing directly at Deneva. Deneva is the next in line and that's why they're tracking it to try and help these people out. Um, uh, I was like, oh my word, we have uh, the spread of people losing their minds again throughout this. Mm-hmm. Another theme that we see in Star mm-hmm. Trek is the spread of just insanity. Madness. No, no rationalization. Madness. Uh, an, an infinite purge. An infinite purge. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's when Sulu sees a ship leaving Deneva and heading straight for the Denovian sun. So they're calling it. They're like, hey. You're going to the sun. Stop. Uh, They try and stop the ship. They try and catch the ship. They can't do anything. It's not answering until finally it gets super close to the sun. And they get a message back. And he says, I'm free. I'm finally free. Like, oh, thank God I'm free. And then it, and then the ship burns up. Space, the final frontier. Pretty much. Uh, They reverse course and they do this thing where it gets brighter and brighter on the bridge as they get closer to the sun. (laughs) Yeah. So we know that it's, it's scary and it's, and it's, uh, it it will be immediate if they don't turn Mm -hmm. around and basically do a Yui. Mm -hmm. Um, McCoy is like, that's, that sounds like the insanity that's been attacking all of these planets. Boy, sure sounds like that. Um, and I, I am no Sherlock Holmes, nor am I a Hugo Poirot, but I, I've, I've deduced very quickly. That guy's crazy. That guy's crazy. That guy flying it yeah. straight into the sun, screaming about being finally free. Mm. You want to crash that thing into the ocean because no, nothing is survives the ocean. Nope. And nothing belongs there. Get the fuck out. It's nothing not for humans, there. not for yep. humans. Um, but now we get the dramatic question that we're going to hit the, the, intro theme on McCoy turns to Kirk and he's like isn't your brother and his family on Nineveh like aren't isn't that where your family is and now we know the private number that Kirk has been trying to call Mm. space the final frontier we are back on the ship. We learn a bit more about Deneva. It's the most beautiful planet ever. It's the perfect beautiful planet of beautiful utopia, as opposed to the super normal planet that we got to see in the alternative factor. But unfortunately, they have not reached out to the Federation for like about a year. Um, and that's when. That's all. These mm-hmm. always things happen when they don't reach out for yep. a year or two. And that's when they have to do a check in. It's always that amount of time. Mm-hmm. By the time they get over there, you know, a million people have lo- or lost their goddamn minds. Yep, pretty much. Um, but just at that moment, Uhura is able to reach the private number Kirk has been calling. And it's a woman screaming, just like, help us. Oh, my God, please help us. Like, hurry, please come. And as soon as Kirk, he's like, Aurelian, because he recognizes her voice that's his brother's wife he's like Aurelian like we're here we're coming she's hung up and Kirk's like I don't care get in contact get in contact or is like it's impossible and he's like get in fucking contact and she does this very calm like I have to talk to my boss right now 
And mm-hmm. she's just like, it is impossible because she hung up the phone. I cannot you know how these things work. this call. And Kirk just kind of like storms off. Um, and that's when we learn that, yes, that was from his wife, Aurelian. Uh, and Kirk's brother, Sam, is a research biologist on this planet. Um, we So we put together a team to head down to the planet. And it's sort of weird. They're like looking to see what's going on on the planet. And the humans aren't really doing much. There's humans and they're alive, but they're not really doing much. And that's pretty obvious when they get down to the planet and it's just this big empty like college campus with a big swimming pool behind them and yeah buildings. the most modern day buildings it was like oh, okay good a contemporary civilization is where they have landed mm-hmm. where we can use like i don't know the ucla berkeley library or literally some sort of weird, like missy did i did i nail it did i fucking nail it in one 360 no scope almost but yes so the brother's okay. lab is at is ucla which is something I noticed too, because I went to okay, UCLA. Okay, okay, okay. And I saw it and I'm like, that looks like UCLA, but nothing else looks like UCLA. And that's because most of the outdoor scenes were shot at the TRW Space and Defense Park in Redondo Beach, California, which is currently the Northrop Grumman Space Technology Headquarters. Cheesy Pete's. Big names. Um, but yeah, the lab that they see in just a second is from UCLA. And there's like a big mosaic on the side, like on the top. Yeah. That's the UCLA building. I'm pretty sure it's That's in South cool. Campus. Um, which is the like, South Campus is like the science and technology sort of area. North Campus is where all of our our, our humanities people go. And then directly Ooh, in the middle uh... is where the psych buildings are, which is where I was. Um, yeah, it just has that distinct like the like the wraparound on the outside, how it's really curvy, mm-hmm. tall, super tall stonework on the outside. Mm-hmm. Like they're kind of like like uh, two, two three story high windows. Mm-hmm. Like those just look like a, a, an era of design and stuff. Like one of our um, buildings on campus had that on mm-hmm. one of the sides of it. So that's what made me think of it. Was like, yeah, this was just yeah. a, like in the seventies. Yeah, or really, it was earlier sixties. But like the brutal, the sort of brutalism meets minimalism like philip johnson kind of stuff i got mixed in there it was just really yeah Yeah. i was just like i love this architecture and also it just firmly squares like where we are in time and space in terms of filming this (laughs) there's also weird art like around there's like swirly Mm -hmm. things that look like kids equipment and spikes yeah they look like kids equipment yes literally i'm like i i recognize this this is public art but it also looks like designed to be like children's play equipment i like my brain broke for a yeah. moment there and i'm like am i really seeing what i'm seeing I'm like oh my god i i fucking love this right shit. <laughs> like i want to climb that right now um but there's no humans at all which is weird because there's supposed to be like eleven thousand humans in this city and that's when kirk turns he's like oh that's my brother's lab like let's go check it out um and they turn and there's a bunch of dudes there's the humans they're all in different colored jumpsuits and they're all running at the crew with clubs screaming get away get away from us we don't want to hurt you get away from us uh apparently their nervous systems are going haywire even when they're unconscious because of course as soon as they come and start screaming the crew just stuns them and they're like, what's up with these people screaming at us to get away from them as they're coming to us and trying to like stop themselves? 
their nervous systems are still running. They just can't move. Um, they hear a scream off to the side, ah! and our landing party runs into the building where they see a woman holding a metal plate over a vent, screaming like, they got in! They're here! Oh my god! They got in! It's always the vents. Mm-hmm. You, everyone everyone doesn't think to check the vents before yep. they get into it. It's the They're like, oh, good, thank goodness we have circulating you know, things here. There's no mm-hmm. way that this at all could come and backfire on yep. us. right through those vents. Um, there was a John McClane creature that was just crawling through and was like, I got this. Uh, they sedate her and sit her down. And there's two unconscious bodies on the floor. One man and one child. Uh-oh. And that's when Kirk realizes when he moves the body of of the grown man and sees that's right it's himself in a mustache himself in a mustache i couldn't fucking handle it mm-hmm. I, I, when they just leaned it over <laughs> i'm like oh well the brother's clearly not going to be a character in this because they just slapped a mustache <laughs> on chatner and was like the brother <laughs> i i i felt very like ugh. Just to tease us with the fact that we're going to have his brother and then just to kill him yeah. off before we even get there. And it's just like uh, Shatner double. I was like, boo, boo. You have reneged on the promise of this episode at the top. Like I'm already upset at this. Boo. What's great. I wanted familiar history oh. and it was just the MacGuffin. Oh, <laughs> that's fair. So in Strange New Worlds, which is the most current Star Trek that's come out and it's set during the time when Pike, Captain Pike, had control of the Enterprise. A character on that show, Sam Kirk. And he is so cute and so lovable and one of the best fucking characters. And I and now I just watch that and I know that he fucking dies on Deneva. By these dumbass creatures. Yeah. He gets like one of the, the, the dumbest little things that they've had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. In, my, in my opinion, I know that they're cool to you. I mean, it's fun. It's it's more of like a like heh heh heh. And it's also the most like metal of the episodes, I feel like, and that was a really big deal for me as a child, like things that were hardcore. <laughs> but he's dead. Gasp. But thankfully, the little boy is just unconscious. Yes, because NBC wouldn't let a kid get no. killed. Uh so Kirk's nephew, unconscious but still alive, the wife unconscious but still alive, Sam dead. Spock is right there with Kirk. He basically just walks right over to him. And Kirk gives a, like, Shatner gives a really intense performance here. I really found that, like, just, like, seeing his brother dead. And this is a time when, like, Shatner has just recently lost his father um, suddenly. And, you know, going through all sorts of stuff. Uh, So I thought that, I really felt like that performance was so intense and they have like shots of just him and like Spock just like looking at him and him looking back at Spock um which is very much the way Nimoy was when Kirk's actual father died um he was like right there so it's pretty pretty sad but also pretty sweet and Spock is like hey like I understand like he's about to say like I get how you feel um and Kirk's like, all right, you're in charge of the landing party. We got to beam this lady and my nephew up to sickbay right now. So they 
head up to sickbay and they realize that both of the people, they're in extreme pain, both the little boy and the woman, their nervous systems are off the chart with pain. And it is really like a, a Dr. Van Gelder moment. Uh, and she wakes up and is trying to sort of share. Van Gelder is from The Dagger of the Mind. Uh, oh, yes. yes. Which is the other one where people are being mind controlled via pain. Um, and Aurelian is like kind of fighting it. She's a little bit awake. She's apparently kind of resistant to the sedative. That they're giving. Yeah, she's put. Yeah, they they mentioned that, and you assume right away it's because something that's controlling her nerves and is trying to keep her awake uh, and resisting the sedative. But she gives like a a good performance of someone who's trying not to be taken in by this, uh, you know, presence Mm -hmm. that is that is trying its best to do so. Yes, Uh, and so she's like, Jim, oh my god, you're here, oh my god, and. Kirk's like, um, yeah, so like your husband's dead, but your son is still alive. Help us. What the hell is going on? And she's like, okay, I will, I will try and explain. Eight months ago, they came horrible things. Visitors brought them on a vessel like an invasive species, like the ant zombie parasite that took over their brains. And she's screaming and crying and she's just like it wasn't their fault like they they didn't want to bring things here they were under their control um they use pain to control people and they need humans to be their arms and legs and they're forcing humans to build ships for them so that they can spread from world to world these horrible things and then she screams and dies yep just they didn't want to pay her for extra scenes. They yep. were like, "We're we're good. We got you on two locations." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, so so okay. Now I learned that it's it is creatures. It's not a psychic mm-hmm. presence. It's something biological, and I I'm always fascinated by like the level of intelligence of these creatures. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, so they know enough about the human anatomy and human technology to get them to build ships with like navigation systems and piloting systems and all these things and it's just something on the back going blah 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 like it that's an amount of intelligence transfer that we have not seen in in sci-fi for a long time i'm i was fascinated by what amount these these little these little zits could do (laughs) um so Kirk looks over at his nephew and sees him kind of like move unconsciously. And he's like, McCoy, do whatever you need to do to save them. Like, I don't care what. And then he beams back down to the fancy college campus uh, or rather the space field force place um, to rejoin the landing party. And they still haven't seen any humans or aliens, but they keep hearing this weird buzzing noise. Um, So Kirk has them set their phasers to kill. And they wander through a mall. It looks like a mall. It just looks like a yeah, fancy Yeah, it really mall. does. <laughs> uh, and at a certain spot, there's a great shot of everyone looking, and then it pulls out, and it reveals this archway on right on the other side of the archway. There's our zits! Our little oh fleshy my God, yes. blobs that have, like, this awful ring of, like, red in the center. And yeah. they look like gross, like, plaque cells. Um, yeah, they they're very like fleshy and red mm-hmm. and like 
they look like they bubble up with like a slight blistering yeah. look. Like they looked unpleasant. I mean, they looked very, they were well enough designed, but they also just looked like like plastic nonsense. <laughs> like or or like goopy. You know, yeah. it, it just there wasn't enough there there for me not to just like titter a bit when they came up on there and especially when spoiler alert they start to attack yes. i was just like okay okay yeah. <laughs> they tried so they're buzzing one of them peels itself off the wall and it just kind of flies through the air yeah. uh, it flips around and attaches itself to spock's back and then kirk is able to rip it off and it just kind of flies away um, yeah, and I'm terrible with like dimensions, but it's like like a foot, foot and a half tall. It like covers yeah. a lot of his back. So they're not, li- I jokingly call them a zip, but they're pretty big. Yeah, they're big. They are not insignificant sized things, but yeah, it's like square on his back. Yeah. And he's just like trying to reach it and can. He's like, ay! Yeah, Kirk is able to pull it off, but he's obviously been affected because there is a horrified look on Mr. Spock's face. Um, so the zits were designed by Wa Chang. As you do. And there's... Our favorite under-the-table uh, prop and a costume and creature designer. Um, it's t- it's called in the Starfleet Medical Reference Manual, ooh, a blastoneuron. A blastoneuron. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, there is... The, the third little fact about this scene is that there is a blooper, apparently, that exists wherein the the blaster neuron or whatever flies around and instead of hitting Spock in the back it hits him in the butt <laughs> and he just laughs <laughs> um so we reopen in sick bay where Dr. McCoy is surgically examining the puncture wounds that they have found on Mr. Spock's back where the creature hit him um and Mr. Spock is not staying sedated they're like they keep having to pump up the sedation McCoy's like he's either fighting us or something inside of him is fighting us and sees that there's all sorts of crap entwined in his whole nervous system and he's like fuck we got to close him up there's nothing we can do and her chapel is there and she's like fuck that's all you're gonna do for him like there's clearly something wrong and McCoy's like I don't know what this is if you can't help me fucking leave close him up and apparently there was a lot more dialogue here in DC Fontana's rewrite. Um, but like McCoy's fucking pissed. Like they're having an argument. Yeah. This is one of the most intense moments we get from McCoy throughout the series. Yeah. Like he is really torn apart by the fact that he has no solutions for whatever the hell just happened to Spock. Yeah. Um, so he then goes up to the bridge with a glob of this thing in a jar of water essentially a jar of liquid um and he'd pulled it off spock's spinal cord and he's like tells kirk these things are like tendrils they're all around the nervous system and when the creature attacks it leaves a stinger like a bee or like a wasp uh and it's too there's too much entwining for normal surgery he has no idea what the fuck to do we see Spock in sickbay just waking up and he's like, no, no. And Nurse Chapel's there and she's like, hey, what, what's up? And he's just like, no, no, I won't. And pushes her over and leaves sickbay. Just walks right out because we don't need any kind of guard at sickbay ever. 
No, no. What we oh, what is the first thing we have to do during sick bay? Get those goddamn guards out of here. Yeah. They're just crowding up the room. Crowding up the fucking room. Um, Nurse Chapel is not injured. She's able to immediately call the bridge and be like, "Mr. Spock just left." But basically, as soon as she calls, uh, Mr. Spock bursts onto the bridge, throws Zulu out of his chair, and starts trying to take over the ship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, as we've seen time again, someone tries to commandeer the bridge, mm-hmm. a time-honored yep. tradition in Star Trek. Absolutely. And it takes six dudes to take him down. Like, not even, like six people, like every single man on that bridge yeah, they're, they're, is it's, holding It's a him very down. funny scene, like to see six people all just like thrashing and like trying to get Spock. And slowly he just gets onto the floor and they're like, Mara dogpiling on yeah. him. And they're able to keep him down just long enough for McCoy to sedate him extra heavily. Um, so they take him back to sickbay and they're like, fuck, put him in restraints. Um, and they can see on the monitor, he's going up, undergoing an immense amount of pain, like more than any human could possibly withstand. But he is, of course, Mr. Spock. Oh, yes. And so he kind of like takes a deep breath and then is like, oh, no worry. I don't need the tranquilizer anymore. Like, yeah, he basically just like goes to his happy place and uses like mind clearing yoga meditation something and he just is like no i'm fine anymore i yes i'm still going through a large amount of pain but i'm also not feeling anymore i'm just choosing not to feel it so like i'm fine you can just let me go through the teleporter again because this has never been an issue in any episode of star trek ever never where people just say i'm fine now and they're not yup so he's like oh yeah like i'm sorry i forgot Pain's a thing of the mind, and the mind can be controlled because I am a Vulcan. And, you know, McCoy and Kirk are like, there is a human half of you. Uh, and he's like, no, 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 I'm cool. I can return to duty. Uh, yeah, but that human half sucks, so my Vulcan half is like, no thank you. Yeah, he's like, it's inconvenient, but I got it. I'm a Vulcan. The creature wants the ship, but I'm resisting. It's like, oh, well, good. Um. And Kirk's like, Bones, can he actually control it? And McCoy's like, the fuck do I know? (laughs) Like, I don't know even what this thing is. Um, But Spock's like, yes, I can. And Kirk's like, you know what? I need my emotional support Vulcan right now. Um, But I'll keep you confined until we can be sure you can maintain control. So stay here in the sick bay for an hour. And if you can stay in control, we'll test this out. Um. Because apparently we're acting more intelligently than usual in this episode. And that's when Kirk is like, hey, McCoy, if my nephew regains consciousness, will he go through this amount of pain? And they're like, yeah, yes, he will. Uh, Let's keep the boy asleep and not have to pay him for any lines. Um, McCoy and Kirk's like, all right, whatever you got to do. I don't care what sacrifices you have to make, McCoy. Like, you have to fix these people. And McCoy is like, my dude, there are like a million people on the planet down there. You are also responsible for them. Uh, yeah, they they raise the stakes pretty goddamn quickly mm-hmm. in this. And it's, it's one of my most frustrating tropes mm. in fiction in general. 
which is essentially like, well, here's our problem. And we have a scene where we establish the problem. And then it's like, what are we going to do? I don't know. You just need to fix it. But I don't know how to fix it. Well, you're going to have to fix it because we need to fix it. And I'm just like, cut this scene out. Yeah. I don't need to establish that the characters don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Like, just cut to the next scene where they do know what they're doing because you're just filling time otherwise. Like, that was that was part of this where it's like they're clearly, like, pacing this out. Because we're really having to, like, stretch the fact that there's not a lot of things that we're really doing mm-hmm. in this episode. And I mean, fair enough, yes. Um, but they all leave sick bay, leaving Spock just kind of struggling with himself. And then as soon as they leave, he's like, I am a Vulcan. I am a Vulcan. There is no pain. And he kind of calms and he looks down his, at his restraints and rips himself out of them as if they were Velcro. Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad that those restraints really helped. Uh, Mr. Spock appears totally normal in the transporter bay. And he's like, oh, Mr. Scott, like, I need to go down to the planet. And Scott's like, you're supposed to be restrained in sick bay. No one is allowed down on the planet. And Mr. Scott, uh, Mr. Spock is like, well, I'll just throw you to the ground then and try and take over the transporter bay. Like, well, I asked nicely. It's like failing a check in Baldur's Gate. Mm -hmm. Like, well, I tried to do this the nice way, and now I guess I'm going to have to go default attack mode. Yeah, pretty much. Um, And that's when he takes out one of the guards with the Vulcan nerve pinch. But Scotty's has a phaser, and he is pointing it at Spock, and he's like, dude, fucking stop. Drop it or I will put you to sleep for sure. Uh, and Spock logically is like, mm, I don't want to get phasered, so fine. Fine. So they call the captain, um, and he shows up to the transporter bay with Blair's like, now there's a bunch of security around. Great. Um, and Kirk's like, dude, I gave you an order not to leave sick bay. And Spock's like, yeah, until I was in control of the pain, and I am in control of the pain, so order rescinded i guess um and he's like and also furthermore my nervous system is already affected by whatever this is so if i were to go down to the planet these creatures aren't gonna give a fuck about me and we need one of these creatures so that we can figure out anything to do with it uh and kirk's like yeah i guess your logic is as usual is inescapable Beam him down, have fun. Uh, and Scotty basically said this. He's like, yeah, so instead of just phasering you and sending you to the brig and then telling the captain, I figured I should probably have the captain here because uh, Mr. Spock doesn't listen to anyone else. <laughs> Another, just one of our reoccurring things is Spock just doing his own damn thing. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and in fact, Kirk's like, oh, and in fact, Scotty, can you give him that phaser? He'll need it. Okay, so they hand Spock a phaser and beam him down to the planet. and An undeserved amount of trust in what Spock is doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're like, have fun on your little mission. <laughs> and McCoy is pissed off. He's like, Jim, that man is sick. And don't give me any bullshit about him being the only man for the job. And Kirk's like, I don't have to. He is the only man for the job. So... Down on the planet, we see Mr. Spock approached by a club-wielding colonist who is himself, like, clearly fighting to not hit Mr. Spock. Like, he's like, "Uh, like he's moving real slow. I give the actors all the credit for doing what they were asked to do, 
But every one of them looks like a bit of a dweeb running around yeah. with a club trying not to hit <laughs> people. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. At this point, so Mr. Spock basically just takes him out with a nerve pinch and we move on. In one of the drafts of the script, he was supposed to, like, follow this guy. Like, this guy got a name and he helped, you know, bring bring down a resolution to, to these things. But now he's just a random guy who's there for the act break. Um, As soon as he does, you know, take out this guy, he's hit by waves and waves of pain and he has to fight it again. Like, Mr. Yeah. Spock, we see him, like, his face, he's grimacing. And he, as he's, like, moving along and trying to get back to the spot where they found the creatures, like, he's twitching and he's hurting. And I really related to this. <laughs> Just having to get shit done when you are in so much fucking pain. Uh, so he ends up back at the archway where he was attacked. And we see the creatures stuck on the wall. They kind of hang out there like sea creatures. Um. And as he gets closer and closer, he has to fight more. And it is kind of wild because we've now spent a whole season seeing him be totally in control most of the time. Um, so he sees one, phasers it, falls off the wall with like a squeak, squeaky noise. And then like Spock has these giant tweezers that he uses <laughs> to pick them up and put it, put it in a box. Back on the ship, we have the creature in this glass container. Uh, where Mr. Spock's about to show them something about it. And McCoy, like, comes up behind him with his little tricorder to, like, check out Mr. Spock. Mr. Spock is like... Always has to do a scan. Always mm -hmm. making sure that uh, the readings are normal. Yeah. Because the device is the be-all and all hail the device. Pretty much. Uh, and Spock is like, Doctor, your commitment to medicine is admirable, but I'm fine. <laughs> And McCoy is like, you might be able to perform your duties, but you are far from okay. Which I thought was badass. Spock goes on to show his findings on the creature. Uh, each of them is a cell in a larger organism. Um, despite yeah. the fact that they're not physically connected, they are all acting like individual brain cells. Mm -hmm. And that's an idea from Day of the Spores, which became this side of paradise. I was okay. I was going to say it's a very spory kind of thing where they're all part of a whole. Like the biggest living thing that we know of is a giant uh, collection of mushrooms that are all technically yeah. one big mushroom. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. Pretty, pretty much. And that's, of course, a, I think it's Gary Soul. Uh, Philip Soul. I don't know. Soul is the last name of the author on this side of paradise or the original Day of the Spores. Um, they, and apparently these creatures also exist differently from any creature that they know and physical laws do not apply to them. They come from a place where the physical laws do not apply. Great. They're beings from beyond life. Unlike any we've ever seen before. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. 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 Life, Jim, but not as we know it. Not as we know it. So the only clue they have at this point besides that these are each an individual cell in this big thing they're grabbing people they're injecting them with venom and right before a man threw himself into the sun he claimed he was free of it yes the author's name jerry soul jerry soul oh my god i was so close the old gary yes. jerry conundrum 
so we get some great spots of Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy just kind of looking at each other. And you can just see in their eyes, McCoy is like, dude, are you okay? And Mr. Spock being like, fuck you, I'm fine. Um, fantastic. I just, I love the, the character interactions that we get in this episode, sort of wordless interactions. Later, McCoy is working on the brain cell um, and Kirk comes in and McCoy is like, dude, I have tried everything, everything that comes from the sun. We got radiation, we got heat and nothing is killing it. And Kirk is like, McCoy, do you understand what this means? Like, it isn't just Mr. Spock and my nephew. It's a million people. It's a million people. Down on this planet and more civilizations to come. It's already destroyed three civilizations. And McCoy is like, I was just the one telling you this. (laughs) (laughs) But there's only one way for us to figure shit out. And that's right. We got to head over to a conference room. Yeah. In the conference room, we got McCoy arguing for let's not kill a million people. And Mr. Spock is like, look, maybe we will have to kill a million people in order to save five million people. And Kirk is like- We got ourselves a trolley situation. We absolutely do. And Kirk is like, okay, that's great, but that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss, I want a third alternative, an alternative factor, one might say. Give me a third option. But sir, there isn't one, but I will have one and you will get me one because I said you will walk away. Pretty much. uh, And that's the thesis of Star Trek right there in so many episodes. And in Captain Kirk's character, we learn in the movies that, you know, in order to become a captain, you have to do a test called the Kobayashi Maru, um, which is a a test that you will fail. Like it's basically we put you in a simulation and you're all about to die and, and you die. And Kirk does not accept it. He breaks into the lab and he reprograms the computer so that he can live. Kirk is always looking for the third alternative. Yeah, the way out. The way out. The way that you can get out without hurting anyone. And that's why it was sort of weird on the planet on uh, in the last episode where they're like, well, we do need Hitler. There's no third way. We just, we got to have Hitler. Otherwise, you know. Yeah, that was. We need A-bombs. <laughs> that's where these things get real fucked. Like, we need to bomb Japan. Like, America needs to bomb the fuck out of civilian cities in one of the most horrifying war crimes that has ever existed. It just has to happen. Um, <laughs> the eugenics war of the 90s has to yeah, happen. We, we got to do it. <laughs> but here he's like, no, give me a third fucking alternative. And he walks away. Uh, skadoosh. Skadoosh. Later, Spock goes to Kirk in his office and he's like, mm, so you do know, though, that we may need to kill a million people in order to stop this civilization and murdering thing from happening. Um, and when you do, I want to go back to the planet and I want to take your nephew with me because he... Like, the pain that he will go through just being awake is so horrible that it is better that we just kill this little boy and we kill me to stop both of those situations from happening. And this is basically the same argument they just had. You're totally right. There are a lot of scenes that are like, this just happened. Now we're doing it in a different location. 
Uh, yeah, it's like the stakes are the same. They're just we're just waiting for a solution. It's it's not that clever, and it doesn't raise big moral problems except for what we get in a lot of episodes, which is a lot of people going to get hurt or they won't. Yeah, and you know, Star Trek sort of leans one way when you're watching these things, and you assume yeah. that there ain't going to be a mass holocaust of select people. You just assume. You usually you can assume you can assume so. He's like, I need the third answer. And he's sitting there and he's like, we, and McCoy is there too. He's like, we tried all of the things. We tried radiation. We tried heat. And that's when a little alarm goes off in front of Kirk. A light flashes and Kirk goes, oh, the third thing that comes from the sun. Radiation, heat, and light. He took the cartoon light bulb that popped up over his head, took it down and was like, this thing. This thing. Um, But McCoy is like, light doesn't kill anything which is bullshit first off uh because light itself and uv light is used in a lot of like medical applications it can kill various viruses if you've ever had really bad poison oak like i have had that doesn't respond to steroids you know, they I put you in a box UV light. i think we can put it in the blood yeah you know i think that <laughs> will take care of it we put the, we light the uv light inside the, the body we just got to put it on the slug. You know, I heard that and bleach it. We yeah. might just be able to bleach the slug too. These yeah. are options that we're exploring. We're Third exploring. options as, <laughs> as opposed. Exactly. Exactly. Have you ever been in a UV box? No. They're weird. It's like a stand-up tanning booth. And you just kind of stand there and like let it blast you <laughs> with like sun and you wear oh, little glasses. Word. Um. But yeah, it works really well for poison oak if it's not responding to steroids, which is the normal thing. Kirk is pretty pleased because he's like, okay, well, light doesn't kill anything. Well, light doesn't kill humans, but who knows yeah. what else it kills? You said give us a third option. We are giving you a third option, sir. And Spock's like, sweet, let's do some science about it. So they head to the science lab to ca test Captain Kirk's theory. And they get... they put uh the little the little brain cell into a box into a light box put on little fun solar eclipse glasses outside which are just look like stunner shades um yes <laughs> they look like little the little glasses that wonka has on when he turns on the wonka vision pretty much uh it has like little holes <laughs> um so they all put on their little glasses and they turn on the light and they turn it off and it worked! The thing's fucking dead! <laughs> it yeah. melts that. It makes th that horrible little noise. Uh, <laughs> and now they're like, sweet. So we know that light kills it. But we gotta know what happens to a host when it's hit yeah. with light. Is this gonna work? And Mr. Spock is like, sweet. So I'm gonna get in the box. And they're like... Mr. Spock, what? And he's like, you need a host to go into the box. We have two hosts here. Me and a little boy. Who are you going to put in the fucking box to make sure it works, huh? And McCoy's like, all right, all right, fine. Let me rig up some safety goggles for you. And Spock's like, dude, there's not going to be safety goggles on the planet. We need to know what will happen to these people. So McCoy's like... Fuck. All right. Like Spock, get in the box. Yep. And before they turn it on, McCoy turns to Kirk and says, 
Mr. Spock's the best first officer in the, in the fleet. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to possibly hurt him. And that's wild because all he has ever said to Mr. Spock is you are a gross green-blooded alien. <laughs> yeah, he's he's specious against him. He like, you know, nags him about how he's not all that great, how like he's an emotionless computer freak. But he's like, but my Mr. Spock, I'm going to miss so him. Spock. He's the balance between, I know that he helps keep you in balance, Jim. And uh, I, a good Jim is a good bones. Good Jim, good bones. We're, we're, we have this beautiful little polycule thing going. Yes, and exactly. I don't want to mess up upset the, the balance. Um, but he really cares for Spock. And it's very sweet. And he turns on the light. And they have on their cute little stunner shades. And then they turn off the light and they open the door and Mr. Spock walks out and he's like, I'm completely cured. It's a success. It worked. Mr. Spock takes a step forward and he runs into a desk. Unfortunately, he is also completely blind. Dun, dun, dun. And I was like, oh, wow, they're introducing this at the end of the second act. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there's, they weren't sure what to do here. So they're like, ah, uh, and he's blind. There we and go. That's that's the trade-off. Blind. We might, they might, you know, cure him of a brain slug, but we might blind a million people. Um, And it's great. <laughs> Mr. Spock's just like, ah, an equitable trade. Doctor, thank you. Yes. Yo, me too. Fuck. If, if someone was like, you will experience no pain ever again, but you'll be blind. I'd be like, bitches, wire me up. Like, let's do this. <laughs> I'm already, I already get sensory overload anyways. Let's right. Move one of the senses and then we'll be good. It'll be fine. Then become, I can use echolocation like a bat. <laughs> <laughs> so a horrified Kirk uh, looks on and, and, and looks at McCoy when they realize like, fuck, we might need to blind a million people. That's going to be a real problem. But then McCoy looks at his little computer thing and he goes, oh, no. And we're like, what? And he goes, I didn't have to throw every spectrum of light at him. I wasn't thinking. I was so worried. I didn't think that there could have been parts of the spectra of light that could have hurt it, but not blinded Mr. Spock. I just blinded Mr. Spock and I didn't have to blind Mr. Spock. And he looks fucking broken. Like, he looks so sad. And and DeForest Kelly, uh, the actor, he said, like, you admire Mr. Spock and you admire Captain Kirk, but you feel for and you sympathize with McCoy. That's very true. Yeah. He, is the, he is the bleeding heart of the three of them. Mm-hmm. And Spock is like, dude, I volunteered for this. Like, I, I knew. I knew the risks. I knew the risks like you you did fix it like we found fucking evidence like it's important. Um, But Kirk is like bones and he's kind of shaking like Kirk is devastated by this even more than McCoy. And he's shaking. He just goes take care of him and he storms off. (laughs) We go to the bridge. Where Mr. Sulu sends down some satellites that are going to shoot this UV light at the planet. Uh, and we see some awful CGI of satellites going down. Not in the original, obviously. They really should have just left it out. Um, and we see uh, on the planet, 
there's this red glow hits the planet and all of the little dudes stuck to the to the archway fall off and then they start bubbling into the ground and dying and it turns them into gumbo quite Mm -hmm. quickly Mm -hmm. just goop sizzling um and almost immediately they start getting information from the surface of the planet people just being like oh my god thank god like we're we're, free thank you we're free holy crap we're okay and that means there's spock baby he's all good the spock baby yeah so the little kid can go into it too and they're like oh thank goodness but kirk is like not happy he's not smiling he just like calls sick bay and he's like hey can't bring back his brother or his sister-in-law or his best friend's sight <laughs> and now he has it's now now his nephew's a fucking orphan yeah so he calls sick bay and he's like hey mccoy tell mr spock it worked we did it um and mccoy's really sad he's like yeah he'll be happy to hear that no he fucking won't he's a vulcan that's the point <laughs> happy is not part of the dictionary but at this point kirk is like bones it wasn't your fault like he feels bad that he blamed bones earlier and he's just like bones 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 <laughs> and then we cut so later captain kirk is dictating a message to starfleet where he's like it all worked like this is what we did when the yeoman is like oh my god it's mr spock Mr. Spock walks onto the bridge of the Enterprise, fully fine, followed by Dr. McCoy, who is very surly about the whole yes. thing. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, the blindness was temporary. Apparently, there's a hereditary trait that Vulcans have because they have an intense sun. And it's kind of like an appendix. It's, it is explained away so quickly. Yeah, it's <laughs> like an appendix and it just goes over the eye and can they produce have another blindness. island. <laughs> yeah. An island that only triggers when they are exposed to really, really bright lights. Mm-hmm. And they don't really think that much about it. They're just like, oh yeah, it's just there. But you know, normally it's as useless as your appendix, except for in this specific occasion. Mm-hmm. And then we get the following little little quippy bits at the end. Kirk says, Mr. Spock, regaining eyesight would be an emotional experience for most. But you, I presume, felt nothing. And Spock's like, quite the contrary, Captain. I had a very strong reaction. My first sight was the face of Dr. McCoy bending over me. (laughs) McCoy says, tis a pity your brief blindness did not increase your appreciation for beauty, Mr. Spock. Uh, And Kirk's like, gentlemen, if you are finished, would you mind laying a course? And Spock's like, ah, my pleasure. And then McCoy says, unusual eye arrangement. I might have known he'd turn up with something like that. And Kirk's like, what's that, doctor? And he says, I said, please don't tell Mr. Spock that I said that he was the best first officer in the fleet. But of course, Spock says, thank you, Dr. McCoy. Ha ha. <laughs> You've been so concerned about his Vulcan eyes, doctor. You forgot about his Vulcan ears. Vulcan hearing. Ahead, War Factor oh, One, Mr. Sulu. Do, do, do. Bad jokes. <laughs> and we finally get to the end of the episode. And that's it. That's, that's that is Operation it. Annihilate. It's pretty fucking 
like for as there's not much plot that happens for as normal Mm -hmm. as it is which is why i think they have so many duplicate scenes of just like we just had a discussion and now we're gonna have it again somewhere else Yes, and this was one of the ones that was ordered after the 26 episodes uh, for the normal season had been done. So this is certainly one that was tacked on. But I did, I got a little bit of glee and pleasure from the fact that we were going to end season one on such a mediocre episode that is going to be like, aha, anticlimax. Like, yes, of course, that would be what happens. Is this just like, yeah, one that sort of exists just for the sake of it. Um, They said the popular opinion of it is that this is not one of the best. It is still Mm -hmm. one of your favorites. Um, what, what were some of your memories of it growing up that made it part of your favorite? It was definitely the grief and the pain. <laughs> okay. So you, you yeah. emotionally attached oh, yeah. to the experience of processing death yeah. and loss through Star Trek. Straight up, like getting to see like these guys who represented such a balance of like always being able to figure out the right thing to do have yeah. to deal with such intense grief, um, which I thought they performed so well. Mm-hmm. And then also the idea of having to work through pain and just having to like keep going and like put pain into like a thing of the mind. Um, that just really meant a lot to me as a kid. It's something that I have come back to a lot where it's like pain is a thing of the mind. And of course there are many ways to health healthily deal with pain. Yeah. Um, but that, that just sort of stuck out to me and it wasn't an episode that I heard much about because it's not that great of an episode, but I also really liked the little blobs. I thought they were really funny. I'm glad that that's the nugget you're able to take out of this. I always think that we take nuggets of things away from things mm-hmm. that we watch. And sometimes it's more, you know, some of them are bigger than others. Um, I am glad that you had that experience and that revelation because I certainly did. not <laughs> um, Yeah, that's fascinating, though. And I understand, especially at that age where, you know, we talked about how you started watching Star Trek uh, midway through the season. So this also probably would have been one of the first episodes you came across mm-hmm. in which death and grief yeah. is dealt with so prominently. Um yeah, it is. It's a good episode for that. Um, it is good for like some character exploration and development, but it just doesn't go into areas yeah. and the creatures don't do anything that we haven't seen. They don't do anything that we haven't seen Star yeah. Trek do before. So that's where for me, it just mm-hmm. ended up being like, okay, I'm watching this for for it to go through, but there's nothing inherently in here that's like, you know, too wild. Yeah. So here's some fun facts about operation annihilate um there was a scene at the end that was cut um in which kirk talks to peter uh his nephew who we recall is still on the ship we haven't talked to him we haven't talked about him but they chat and peter's like i would like to stay on deneva like i'll i'll stay with sam's lab partner and yeah be a child be an orphaned child and rebuild this society um he was supposed to be in a spinoff. They were thinking of doing like a spinoff with like the kids or with Star kids. Trek b- babies. Okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, but he does, that actor does end up in another episode of the series oh. called The Children Shall Lead. I wonder why they cast oh, a child in that one. And The Children Shall Lead. Oh, that changes the entire yes. 
context of what I could think that was about. Yep. Um, I fucking love the episode titles of the third season. I just something about them. <laughs> and the children shall lead. Like what? They just up the game. <laughs> by by making it seem like it's half of the sentence, but they don't tell you which half. <laughs> so uh, I'm so excited for us to that we have finally warped our way through this part of the universe that is season one of star trek and that we have only two-thirds of our journey left <laughs> two more. Two more. of this series at least Ooh. um so the original script that steven carabazzo's wrote his outline um did not envision the parasites being killed with light instead the Enterprise has to kill all of the people of Deneva. Oh, Jesus. And we end with the he loneliness the of cut. command. Yeah, pretty much. Well, just we had to have like, a million well, people die. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> By Menon. Justman was like, so Kirk did the only thing he can do. I don't like it. <laughs> yep. Um. So the second version of it had... Instead of him killing all of the people of Denifa, they had to find the home planet of these creatures and destroy it because that's where like the central location is. And then all the if we hit the center ship, all the droids will stop working, you know, it's the mother host. And what's wild is that uh, in the novelization of this episode, author James Blish used that version instead of the version that was aired. Metal as fuck. Hell yeah. So, He's like, this is a book. People can fucking die. Everyone dies. Um, so um, in the first draft of the script actually didn't have Kirk's brother or his family. It was just a random woman named Aurelian. And okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Father. Why? Because it feels so tacked on yeah. within this. Yeah, it is super tacked on. It's because Roddenberry like wanted to do something with a brother of Kirk. Um. Yeah, so yeah, so it truly was just like a MacGuffin. It really just yeah. is like we're gonna have introduce his brother in here so that you have some artificially induced emotional stakes that just so quickly get like forgotten within it. Like you don't really even think about the nephew that much until like they mention him every once in a while because we're so focused on Spock and like he's yeah. the one that we care about. Exactly, exactly. Um, and my final fun fact is that. This or the same story, the Robert E. Highland novel, The Puppet Masters, was used uh, for a show called The Brain Eaters or a movie called The Brain Eaters in 1958, Ooh. which also starred Leonard Nimoy. Hey! So this is the second time that he, you know, got attacked by slugs. Goddamn mind slugs. Mind slugs. Um,. And that's our first season of Star Trek. We've made it. We are Missy? back at the starport. Missy? Oh, we can take a breather. Yes. What, Captain you, Emily. What, are you, what are your reactions? What are your thoughts to this season of television as a what, whole? What an absolutely fantastic voyage. What a beautiful route we have taken. We really have gotten, like we've, we have ridden the gamut of speculative fiction mm -hmm. of 
metaphors about the time they are in. We have talked about the time and the era that people wanted to be, what their future is. It has so clearly defined our main characters and given us some like neat little fleshings out of our ancillary characters. Um, I can't wait to see how they improve upon that in the next season. Um, a lot of these stories are really good stories that sometimes utilize the characters, but not to the best of their degree. Um, I assume that later on the writing will get a little bit more specific with some of the characters and we'll see some of those personalities that we see fully fleshed out by the time that the movies come out, of course, uh, in the seventies. So I'm, yeah, I love it. It's, it's such a solid foundation and to get so many iconic moments. Iconic. Iconic. Within this first season, which truly like are the things that I have, that have permeated pop culture, uh, be it through spoofs, be it through friends talking about things, be it through uh, memes that have come out. So yeah, it really is just nice to go through but like the most fun i have is just coming and talking to you about ah! these episodes afterwards like to have someone who is so fun to talk to and has such a font of information uh and is willing to research all of this just yes. to talk to me about it yes. like i am so absolutely happy that this um this project was took off and that we have successfully manage to take our voyage throughout it all and that i cannot wait to do the next one um yeah this this is great i mean this could it's one of those things whenever you watch old tv you're every once in a while you're like is this going to hit or is this going to feel so dated mm -hmm. is it going to feel like a product of its time is it going to take me out of it because the quality isn't great and any one of those moments that Star Trek has, there's other things within it that are so interesting or it's just mm -hmm. trying to do so many different things or does so many different things that no other show had done before. It bold, to boldly go yeah. where no other gene yes. had produced before. Um, and and to have so much context within it is is great. Obviously, Star Trek is, you know, one of the most documented uh, sort mm -hmm. of uh, productions that we have. People have always been obsessed about it. Um, so to, to slowly, slowly get my way and my footing in this, in this fandom, uh, is quite fun that we're ending this year, uh, with a landmark moment for, for us. We have finished yes. Star Trek season one. And by this time next year, we might have finished with Star Trek season two and season three. Who knows? And, and the then children where do we, shall lead. Where do we boldly go after that? Who knows? It is wide open territory. I can't wait. I just can't wait till we get to For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. I just, I just <laughs> can't. You have teased so much. I, that's also one of my favorite parts is guessing what the next episode is going to be. Like, I absolutely love it. Yes. Um, it's, 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 you cannot tell with the titles of these sometimes where we're going to be going. Um, my God. Yeah. What a series. What a, what a podcast we have. We have just, uh, stumbled forth yes. to, to boldly talk about what others have talked about. I'm sure in ways that are nowhere near <laughs> as, as insane as we take this, yes. like my word, I have loved just the, the deep philosophical and like emotional revelations that have come through. I've cried audience. Remember the times that I've yeah. cried during these episodes because of the feelings for this. Like it's just been an incredible journey on it. Um, and we're going to continue it.
next season. Yay! Missy. Captain Emily. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always. And live, live long. long. And prosper. And prosper. Yay! 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 And this time I'm keeping the yays in that we do at the end of every episode. Yay! This is what we do every time. <laughs> and you're finally going to get to hear it. Our yay! <laughs> to be on a shoulder so bad but he's too big (laughs) she said he wants to be a shoulder cat but he's too big no he's he's just big enough (laughs) oh no bigger dr president that is as big as you get (laughs) i just woke him up from sleeping so he's a little groggy putting his butt in my face sweetie do you need to pick that up? Are you good? Aww. Fine. Fine. Lunch down. Now that's what I would not mind having um, connected to my back. You know? Come on down this way. If Dr. Come President on. were to leave uh, his stinger in me, I'd be Aww. pretty okay. <laughs> he, um, he definitely uh, likes to cling on your back much like the speed and force of it i just had to edit an episode where all of a sudden i go oh my god fuck and then it was because i'm like dr president had jumped and put his claws right into my back at that moment i was like oh very funny (laughs) well he just had a gross spurt oh that is (laughs) (laughs) oh big guy he wants to go outside so i'm letting him outside um okay but yeah we're space final frontier space 